Forlock Forbach Reads. Produced by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library. Welcome to Warlock Vorbach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. Are you ready for the terrifying end of the world? Well, I mean, like a poem about it. Last time we found inspiration from the graveyard. This time it comes in the form of prisons and the apocalypse. Today we explore the gloomy interior mind of a poet larger than life, Lord Byron. George Gordon Byron was born on January 22, 1788 in London, England, the only child of Captain Jack Byron and his second wife, Catherine Gordon. His father was terrible with money and burned through their fortune, dying on a trip to France after borrowing money from Catherine. His mother regularly experienced bouts of mood swings. Sometimes she spoiled Byron Rodden, and other times lashed out at him for having been born with a deformed right foot. Although he was encouraged to exercise, he could not refrain from violent bursts of activity to compensate for his foot. His mother often took him out of school, especially when he fell in love with Mary Chaworth, a student at Harrow. While attending Trinity College, Byron engaged in boxing, horse riding, gambling, and some amorous adventures. One famous legend has it he kept a bear as a pet. Encouraged to write poetry by his friend Elizabeth Bridget Piggott, Byron published his first set of verses at the age of 17. But it was recalled and burned for its many licentious poems. A revised edition met with much scorn and caused him to write his first major satire. English bards and Scotch reviewers. Although published anonymously, people figured out he wrote it and challenged him to duels. In 1812, he would publish the first two cantos of Child Harold's Pilgrimage, and according to him, I awoke one morning and found myself famous. While the Napoleonic Wars wrecked Central Europe, Byron toured the Mediterranean to avoid his debts. His new celebrity fame gave him access to the most fashionable drawing rooms and exclusive clubs. It also gave him the opportunity to have many affairs, both with women and men. Rumors of incest involving Byron's half-sister, Augusta Lee, caused Byron to marry Annabella Milbank. However, due to his numerous affairs, she sought legal separation, and Byron left England in 1816, never to return. The summer of 1816, he settled at Villa Diodati at Lake Geneva with John Polidori, Percy Shelley, and Mary Godwin. Incessant rain kept them indoors and reading French ghost stories. Inspired, 
they held a ghost story contest, which would lead to the creation of Frankenstein. Byron became interested in Armenian culture, learning the language and writing an English to Armenian dictionary. At this time, he wrote the first five cantos of his famous satire, Don Juan. He also eloped with the married 18-year-old Countess Guccioli and moved to Ravenna. There he lived with a caravan of animals, including ten horses, eight dogs, three monkeys, five cats, an eagle, a crow, and a falcon, which would walk or fly about the house. However, he grew restless, and the Countess Guccioli left to reunite with her exiled father. Byron sailed to Greece and joined the independent revolution against the Ottoman Empire by bankrolling the Greek army. He planned the attack to the fortress of Lepanto, but fell ill before he could leave. The doctors were insistent in performing bloodletting on him, which weakened him to a violent fever. He died April 19, 1824, at age 36. I will be reading two of his poems written in 1816. I have previously reported about other famous historical moments that happened during 1816 in my podcast about Anne Radcliffe, so I will not repeat them here. Let's jump straight into The Prisoner of Shalon and Darkness by Lord Byron. My hair is gray, but not with years, nor grew it white in a single night, as men's have grown from sudden fears. My limbs are bowed, though not with toil, but rusted with a vile repose, for they have been a dungeon spoil. And mine has been the fate of those to whom the goodly earth and air are banned and barred, forbidden fair. But this was for my father's faith I suffered chains and courted death. That father perished at the stake, for tenants he would not forsake, and for the same his lineal race in darkness found a dwelling place. We were seven, who now are one, six in youth and one in age, finished as they had begun, proud of persecution's rage. One in fire and two in field, their belief with blood have sealed, dying as their father died, for the God their foes denied. Three were in a dungeon cast, of whom this wreck is left the last. There are seven pillars of Gothic mold in Shallan's dungeons deep and old. There are seven columns, massy and gray, dim with a dull imprisoned ray, a sunbeam which hath lost its way, and through the crevice in the cleft of the thick wall is fallen and left, creeping o'er the floor so damp like a marsh's meteor lamp. And in each pillar there is a ring, and in each ring there is a chain. That iron is a cankering thing, 
For in these limbs its teeth remain, With marks that will not wear away. To I have done with this new day, Which now is painful to these eyes, Which have not seen the sun so rise for years. I cannot count them o'er, I lost their long and heavy score, When my last brother drooped and died, and I lay living by his side. They chained us each to a column stone, and we were three, yet each alone. We could not move a single pace, we could not see each other's face, but with that pale and livid light that made us strangers in our sight, and thus together, yet apart, Fettered in hand, but joined in heart, Twas still some solace in the dearth Of the pure elements of earth To hearken to each other's speech, And each turn comforter to each With some new hope, or legend old, Or song heroically bold. But even these at length grew cold, Our voices took a dreary tone, an echo of the dungeon stone, a graden sound, not full and free as they of yore were wont to be. It might be fancy, but to me they never sounded like our own. I was the eldest of the three, and to uphold and cheer the rest I ought to do and did my best, and each did well in his degree. The youngest whom my father loved because our mother's brow was given to him with eyes as blue as heaven. For him my soul was sorely moved, and truly might it be distressed to see such bird in such a nest. For he was beautiful as day, when day was beautiful to me as to young eagles being free. A polar day, which will not see a sunset till its summer's gone, Its sleepless summer of long light, the snow-clad offspring of the sun. And thus he was as pure and bright, and in his natural spirit gay, With tears for naught but others' ills. And then they flowed like mountain rills, Unless he could assuage the woe which he abhorred to view below. The other was as pure of mind, but formed to combat with his kind, strong in his frame, and of a mood which gainst a world in war had stood, and perished in the foremost rank with joy, but not in chains to pine. His spirit withered with their clank, I saw it silently decline, and so perchance in sooth did mine, but yet I forced it on to cheer those relics of a home so dear. He was a hunter of the hills, had followed there the deer and wolf. To him this dungeon was a gulf, and fettered feet the worst of ills. Lake Lemen lies by Shallan's walls, a thousand feet in depth below. Its massy waters meet and flow. Thus much the fathom line was sent from Shallan's snow-white battlement, 
which round about the wave enthralls, a double dungeon wall and wave have made, and like a living grave below the surface of the lake, the dark vault lies wherein we lay. We heard it ripple night and day, sounding o'er our heads it knocked, and I have felt the winter spray wash through the bars when winds were high and wanton in the happy sky. And then the very rock hath rocked, and I have felt it shake unshocked, because I could have smiled to see the death that would have set me free. I said my nearer brother pined, I said his mighty heart declined, he loathed and put away his food. It was not that twas coarse and rude, for we were used to hunter's fare, and for the like had little care. The milk drawn from the mountain goat was changed for water from the moat. Our bread was such as captives' tears have moistened many a thousand years since man first pent his fellow men like brutes within an iron den. But what were these to us or him? These wasted not his heart or limb. My brother's soul was that mold which in a palace had grown cold. Had his free breathing been denied the range of the steep mountainside? But why delay the truth? He died. I saw and could not hold his head, nor reach his dying hand nor dead, though hard I strove, but strove in vain to rend and gnash my bonds in twain. He died, and they unlocked his chain, and scooped for him a shallow grave even from the cold earth of our cave. I begged them, as a boon, to lay his corpse in dust whereon the day might shine. It was a foolish thought, but then within my brain it wrought, that even in death his free-born breast in such a dungeon could not rest. I might have spared my idle prayer. They coldly laughed and laid him there. The flat and turfless earth above, the being we so much did love, his empty chain above it lent such murder's fitting monument. But he the favorite and the flower, most cherished since his natal hour, his mother's image and fair face, the infant love of all his race, his martyred father's dearest thought, my latest care, for whom I sought to hoard my life, that his might be less wretched now and one day free. He too, who yet had held untired a spirit natural or inspired, he too was struck, and day by day was withered on the stalk away. Oh, God, it is a fearful thing to see the human soul take wing in any shape, in any mood. I've seen it rushing forth in blood. I've seen it on the breaking ocean strive with a swollen convulsive motion. I've seen the sick and ghastly bed of sin delirious with its dread. But these were horrors. 
This was woe, unmixed with such, but sure and slow. He faded, and so calm and meek, so softly worn, so sweetly weak, so tearless, yet so tender, kind, and grieved for those he left behind. With all the while a cheek whose bloom was as a mockery of the tomb, whose tints as gently sunk away as a departing rainbow's ray, an eye of most tra transparent light that almost made the dungeon bright, and not a word of murmur, not a groan o'er his untimely lot, a little talk of better days, a little hope my own to raise, for I was sunk in silence, lost in this last loss, of all the most, and then the sighs he would suppress of fainting nature's feebleness, more slowly drawn, grew less and less. I listened, but I could not hear. I called, for I was wild with fear. I knew twas hopeless, but my dread would not be thus admonished. I called and thought I heard a sound. I burst my chain with one strong bound and rushed to him. I found him not. I only stirred in this black spot. I only lived. I only drew the accursed breath of dungeon dew. The last, the soul, the dearest link between me and the eternal brink which bound me to my failing race, was broken in this fatal place. One on the earth and one beneath, my brothers both had ceased to breathe. I took that hand which lay so still. Alas, my own was full as chill. I had not strength to stir or strive, but felt that I was still alive. A frantic feeling when we know that what we love shall nearer be so. I know not why I could not die. I had no earthly hope but faith, and that forbade a selfish death. What next befell me then and there, I know not well. I never knew. First came the loss of light and air, and then of darkness too. I had no thought no feeling, none. Among the stones I stood a stone, and was scarce conscious what I wist, as shrubless crags within the mist. For all was blank and bleak and gray. It was not night, it was not day. It was not even the dungeon light, so hateful to my heavy, heavy sight. But vacancy absorbing space and fixedness without a place. There were no stars, no earth, no time, no check, no change, no good, no crime, but silence, and a stirless breath, which neither was of life nor death. A sea of stagnant idleness, blind, boundless, mute, and motionless. A light broke in upon my brain, it was the carol of a bird. It ceased, and then it came again, the sweetest song ear ever heard, and mine was thankful till my eyes ran over with a glad surprise, and they that moment could not see 
I was the mate of misery. But then by dull degrees came back my senses to their wanton track. I saw the dungeon walls and floor close slowly round me as before. I saw the glimmer of the sun creeping at it before had done. But through the crevice where it came, that bird was perched as fond and tame and tamer than upon the tree. A lovely bird with azure wings and song that said a thousand things and seemed to say them all for me. I never saw its like before. I nearer shall see its likeness more. It seemed like me to want a mate, but was not half so desolate. And it was come to love me when none lived to love me so again. And cheering from my dungeon's brink had brought me back to feel and think. I know not if it late were free or broke its cage to perch on mine, but knowing well captivity, sweet bird, I could not wish for thine. Or if it were, in winged guise, a visitant from paradise, for heaven forgive that thought the while which made me both to weep and smile, I sometimes deem that it might be my brother's soul come down to me. But then at last away it flew, and then twas mortal well I knew, for he would never thus have flown, and left me twice so doubly lone, lone as the corpse within its shroud, lone as a solitary cloud, a single cloud on a sunny day, while all the rest of heaven is clear, a frown upon the atmosphere that hath no business to appear when skies are blue and earth is gay. A kind of change came in my fate. My keepers grew compassionate. I know not what made them so. They were inured to sights of woe, but so it was. My broken chain with links unfastened did remain, and it was liberty to stride along my cell from side to side, and up and down, and then athwart, and tread it over every part, and round the pillars one by one, returning where my walk begun, avoiding only, as I trod, my brother's graves without a sod. For if I thought with heedless tread my step profane their lowly bed, my breath came gaspingly and thick, and my crushed heart felt blind and sick. I made a footing in the wall. It was not therefrom to escape, for I had buried one and all who loved me in a human shape. And the whole earth would henceforth be a wider prison unto me. No child, no sire, no kin had I, no partner in my misery. I thought of this, and I was glad, for thought of them had made me mad. But I was curious to ascend to my barred windows and to bend once more upon the mountains high, the quiet of a loving eye. I saw them, and they were the same. They were not changed like me in frame. 
I saw their thousand years of snow on high, their wide long lake below, and the blue roan in forest flow. I heard the torrents leap and gush over channeled rock and broken bush. I saw the white-walled distant town and whiter sails go skimming down. And then there was a little isle, which in my very face did smile, the only one in view, a small green isle, it seemed no more scarce, broader than my dungeon floor. But in it there were three tall trees, and o'er it blew the mountain breeze, and by it there were water flowing, and on it there were young flowers growing of gentle breath and hue. The fish swam by the castle wall, and they seemed joyous each and all. The eagle rode the rising blast, methought he never flew so fast as then to me he seemed to fly. And then new tears came in my eye, and I felt troubled, and would fain I had not left my recent chain. And when I did descend again, the darkness of my dim abode fell on me as a heavy load. It was as is a new-dug grave, closing o'er one we sought to save. And yet my glance, too much oppressed, had almost need of such a rest. It might be months or years or days. I kept no count. I took no note. I had no hope my eyes to raise and clear them of their dreary moat. At last men came to set me free. I asked not why and reckoned not where. It was at length the same to me. Fettered or fetterless to be, I learned to love despair. And thus when they appeared at last and all my bonds aside were cast, these heavy walls to me had grown a hermitage, and all my own. And half I felt as they were come to tear me from a second home. With spiders I had friendship made, and watched them in their sullen trade, had seen the mice by moonlight play, and why should I feel less than they? We were all inmates of one place. And I, the monarch of each race, had power to kill, yet strange to tell. In quiet we had learned to dwell. My very chains and I grew friends. So much a long communion tends to make us what we are. Even I regained my freedom with a sigh. Darkness by Lord Byron I had a dream which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the internal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came and brought no day. And men forgot their passions in the dread of this, their desolation. And all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. And they did live by watchfires. And the thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, 
the habitations of all things which dwell were burnt for beacons. Cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes to look once more into each other's face. Happy were those who dwelt within the eye of the volcanoes and their mountain torch. A fearful hope was all the world contained. Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded, and the crackling trunks extinguished with a crash, and all was black. The brows of men by the despairing light wore an unearthly aspect, as by fits the flashes fell upon them. Some lay down and hid their eyes and wept, and some did rest their chins upon their clenched hands and smiled. And others hurried to and fro, and fed their funeral piles with fuel, and looked up with mad disquietude on the dull sky, the pall of a past world. And then again, with curses, cast them down upon the dust, and gnashed their teeth and howled. The wild birds shrieked, and terrified did flutter on the ground and flap their useless wings. The wildest brutes came tame and tremulous, and vipers crawled and twinned themselves among the multitude, hissing but stingless. They were slain for food, and war which for a moment was no more, did glut himself again. A meal was bought with blood, and each sate sullenly apart, gorging himself in gloom. No love was left. All earth was but one thought, and that was death immediate and inglorious, and the pang of famine fed upon all entrails. Men died, and their bones were tombless as their flesh. The meager by the meager were devoured. Even dogs assailed their masters, all save one, and he was faithful to a corpse, and kept the birds and beasts and famished men at bay, till hunger clung them, or the dropping dead lured their lank jaws. Himself sought out no food, but with a piteous and a perpetual moan and a quick desolate cry, licking the hand which answered not with a caress, he died. The crowd was famished by degrees, but two of an enormous city did survive, and they were enemies. They met beside the dying embers of an altar place, where had been heaped a mass of holy things for an unholy usage. They raked up and shivering, scraped with their cold skeleton hands the feeble ashes, and their feeble breath blew for a little life and made a flame which was a mockery. Then they lifted up their eyes as it grew lighter and beheld each other's aspects, saw and shrieked and died.
even of their mutual hideousness they died, unknowing who he was upon whose brow famine had ridden fiend. The world was void. The populace and the powerful was a lump. Seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless, a lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. The rivers, lakes, and ocean all stood still, and nothing stirred within their silent depths. Ships sailorless lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal. As they dropped, they slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead, the tides were in their grave, the moon their mistress had expired before. The winds were withered in the stagnant air, and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe. Thank you so much for listening to Warlock Vorbach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County public library podcast. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and other podcast apps, and share this with your friends and family. Next time, our poet was a friend of Lord Byron and also was exiled for his controversial views on religion, marriage, and radical politics. Till next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Warlock Vorbach Reads. Subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss future episodes. And discover more of our podcast at chpl.org slash podcasts.